Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Guys in a Chainsaw. I'm Todd. And I'm Craig. Well, here we are on week three of our very specific theme month of 1981 <laughs> slasher movies. Because 1981 was a pivotal year for slasher movies. Anyway, there sure were a lot of them. We've done several horror movies in 1981. If you get on our Patreon uh, and you become a member, you can visit our mini-sode, where we talk about exactly why I... I'm not going to pretend we did. It was all me. <laughs> why I thought I had this crazy idea of choosing 1981 and uh, all of the movies that we've seen in 1981, as well as the ones we kind of want to see, uh, and uh, why it just sort of seemed to be a banner year for slashers, at least a pivotal sort of turning point between between two eras. So we've done two before, and this one uh, is one that I have been wanting to do forever, The Prowler. I don't know. It's just, you know, I never saw it. Growing up, have you have you seen this? Nope. Before or nope. Okay, so yeah, I never seen it before, but it it popped up every now and then on lists. Surprisingly, a couple magazines put it on one of the top twenty five or fifty slashers of all time. Not in like the top ten, but a little lower on the list. But I'd never seen it. I don't even know if I'd seen it on the shelves in the horror section when I was out there. It's purely something that the internet delivered to me. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that Tom Savini the inimitable special effects artist, you know, who kicked off the Friday the 13th franchise, did incredible work on um, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, and is a, a legend in the special effects industry, still consider this considers this some of his best work. In fact, he was the man behind the mask for at least the kill scenes in right. this movie. Uh, and so uh, I thought, well, that's pretty significant. And then the director of it is um, a guy named Joseph Zito. Yeah, Joseph Zito. And you know... <laughs> I know. When you hear the... Right? <laughs> Joseph Zito. Uh, he has 10 directing credits to his name. The Prowler. He did, he did a horror movie before this called Blood Rage, which sounds kind of interesting. This movie apparently got him enough cred to do Friday the 13th, the final chapter, which when, was when Tom Savini was invited back into the series. They thought that was going to be the last uh, Friday the 13th movie. Um, and so they, you know, put their heart and soul into it. Corey Feldman's in there. Anyway, um, and then he goes on from this to do a bunch of, like, it's just total 80s. I love it. Uh, missing in action, Invasion USA, Red Scorpion, Delta Force One, 80s action movies that were also a dime a dozen, just like the horror movies were. Also was the executive producer for He's Back, The Man Behind the Mask. I'm a big Alice Cooper fan, and Alice Cooper did the the music video for the theme song of Friday the 13th. So it's kind of interesting, but uh, now he's consulting producer for a TV series. He hasn't really done much since the late 80s. But anyway, this is one of his seminal works, and so we're reviewing it. (laughs) I assumed you picked this movie. It's so funny, but I just assumed that you picked this because... The director was the director of Blood Rage, which is not a movie that sounds interesting. It's like one of your favorite movies. No, no, no. Craig, you're mistaken. This is different. This is Blood Rage one word. Blood Rage two words is the Thanksgiving one. Okay. Blood Rage one word, which, don't get me wrong, got me excited when I first saw it, but I thought, no, I would have known this in in advance. Okay. Blood Rage one word is about, like, a a guy killing prostitutes. Gotcha. Apparently, maybe we should end up doing it at some point, because it's got kind of maniac vibes. It's like a very underground, kind of grimy New York 
sort of style movie that might be interesting in its own right, but no. Okay, yeah. Easy mistake, I suppose. Um, But yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned Maniac because Tom Savini came immediately off Maniac and did this movie. Mm. And if you see Tom Savini's name on something, you know you're in for a treat because the guy is just a genius when it comes to uh, practical special effects. He's, He's just fantastic. And that's, you know, I was talking about this movie last night and I said there's not much notable about it except the special effects are amazing yes like these are some of the best practical effects that i've ever seen i was blown away i was not expecting to be blown away i was also my stomach was turned a little bit yeah right well i I the two go hand in hand uh uh-huh i read somewhere that um, the director went to a screening, and uh, I don't know if it was an usher or a security guard or, or somebody. He, he told this guy that he was the director, and the guy was like, "Oh man, you really killed those people, didn't you?" Like that's how real it looks. It really looks super real. Uh, frankly, like to the point where usually when you see practical effects, you can you, you can see behind the curtain a little bit. You know, you can kind of yeah. tell how they did it. A little stretchy latex, or uh-huh. like you kind of. That, that head looks a little fake, you know, that kind of thing. Right. In this, there were at least a couple of the kills that I was like, I have no idea how he did that because it looks totally real. Mm. <laughs> it's crazy. Overall, really, I was underwhelmed with the movie. Yeah. But it's worth the price of admission just for the special effects, of which there are a lot because there are quite a few kills and they happen pretty regularly you don't have to wait around there are some scenes that i thought dragged out a little bit but again <laughs> again ag- yeah i know <laughs> again it pays off with uh the kills that look amazing it does again just laying out all the cards on the table my sort of summary of how i felt about this movie is exactly as yours as a story it's stupid. Mm-hmm. It, it's not atypical for any slasher movie we watch. In fact, it's very much paint by numbers, checks all the boxes. It's got all of the stuff that you expect from an 80s slasher movie, which I like. That nowadays is why I watch them. I kind of want to see all of the kitsch and the you know what I'm going to expect. The formula, yeah, but sure. The form, yeah, the formula. But in this case, there's a formula, but the numbers don't add up. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> like, to it. Like the first of all, they set up a motivation that doesn't make any sense, mm-hmm. and then they introduce this cast of characters who have no personality at all. Uh, you don't you don't get to know anything about these people other than you know just the very most surface thing. Like she's the good girl and she's the kind of bitchy slutty girl like that's it they have no defining personal characteristics at all i I didn't care about them at all i barely bothered to even write down their names because who cares yeah who the killer was i thought was super predictable yeah within the first 15 minutes i was like oh it's that guy (laughs) (laughs) and it was the only one it could have been well if if it was anybody that we had been introduced to at all there's only one person it could have been and uh it it was then again the motivation didn't make any sense as far no. as timelines are concerned. Yeah. So all you're right. Like all the pieces are there, but they just don't fit together right. 
Yeah, yeah. Motivations don't make sense. Choices that characters make in the movie are absolutely baffling. Relationships between people are strange to the point where when I was done with the movie, uh, so I watched it on my computer. I have VLC player. I I used to play video files. And it automatically restarts, like it just loops Mm -hmm. when the movie's done. And I just let it go because I was like, all right, I think I need to rewatch at least the first five, ten minutes of this movie. Maybe it can fill in some gaps because I had so many questions at the end of the movie, there were there were just so many gaps in continuity and uh, in motivation, and I, it did help a little bit watching the first ten minutes. But it's because I'd already seen the movie, so I remembered some names, and so I was listening for names. I don't know, man. It's it's just it's not good. Well, then you'll have to fill me in because ultimately I don't get it. <laughs> like, uh, it's still tenuous. But we've seen much worse. We've seen oh, way yeah. worse. Yeah, it's fine. It's typical. And to its credit, it's actually well made in a in a technical sense. Like That's true. The cinematography is nice. Yeah, the, the cinematography is better than some of the even the Friday the thirteenth movies. Yeah, it really is. The people are pretty, you know, they're they're nice to look at, you know. The acting is fine. Fine. There's nothing terribly wrong with it. It's pretty typical for the era and the material they were given to work with. And that like we said, the kills are insanely brutal and impressive uh so you know it's it's we've seen really amateurish shit and this is not amateurish shit it's just very poorly written and maybe that's the worst thing about it really Mm -hmm. it just doesn't make a lot of sense right so yeah which is a shame yeah i mean it's it's not as bad as i expected it to be because i had never even heard of it like to maybe there are people out there who know about this movie but i had never even heard of it so for me it seems to be kind of obscure and usually the things that are obscure are obscure for a reason and maybe there's maybe the bad writing is the reason here but they shopped it around to production companies and one production company made an offer to release it but um the producer of the film i guess wasn't satisfied with the offer and decided to just fund the release himself so they blame that limited release for the reason that it isn't more well known Mm. i don't know but i knew nothing about it coming in but i was looking forward to it It, especially when it started it seemed to kind of have kind of an interesting premise it started with promise yeah like it opens it opens with this news footage from 1945 of the queen mary the ship returning all of these um soldiers from world war ii and that you know it talks about you know how all of these men are heroes and will be celebrated by their communities and by their loved ones, etc. But then the announcer is like, except for those who will be getting a Dear John letter. <laughs> the opening feels like the beginning of an old movie. Like it feels like this is going to be a movie made in the forties. You know, this they did very, very well. Uh, I mean, first of all, like you said, it's it's not just like an old. It's like an old newsreel, right? That uh-huh. they used to play. I don't know. Yeah, our boys are coming back from the war, and blah blah blah. And it's very well done, and it's it sounds like and looks like something that would be from that era. For some, the psychological victims of war, it will be a long road back. These men will need time to rebuild the lives they set aside when Uncle Sam called. For others, the G.I.s of the Dear John letters, it means starting over, replacing what they have lost. 
it starts out, the subtitle says it's 1945. It's got this big, gorgeous house that these college-age, I think, kids are coming in and having a graduation party. And it's a mix, obviously, as it would be, of soldiers who are coming back. Some are in uniform. And it's really well executed. Like, the costumes are on point. The Uh hairstyles are on point. The language is on point. There's a band playing on stage, playing jazz, you know, ragtime, big band type music. And even the announcer and the guy who's up there, the stuff he's saying and the way he's saying it, it sells it 100%. And I was like, God, like, these people knew what they were doing. Like, you know, they didn't even want to play Hey, keep your mitts off my girl. The drummer told me his wife wouldn't let him in the house if he ever showed up again with that little brown jug. So let's cheer him up and everybody swing. We watch some of these low-budget films and, you know, they try it, period. And, you know, it's just obvious it's low-budget and they, they try it a little bit, but they don't really know what they were doing. And I feel like these people knew it. Yeah. I felt like the movie could have continued that way for who knows how long. I would have been satisfied. It would have been a better movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would have been <laughs> a better right. movie if they had stuck to 1945. But even before that, like right after the news footage, then you see, again, it looks almost like Hitchcockian or or from that era, um, this letter, and it is a Dear John letter from some young woman talking about, uh, I hate to have to say this to you, I don't want to say it, and and like the letter is scrolling so we can read along with it. It's in black, grainy black and white, um, and basically this girl is saying, I know I promised I'd wait for you, but I can't wait any longer. I don't know when you're going to be coming back. I'm young. I have to live my life now. I'm so sorry. And then it's signed Rosemary, which is supposed to be the setup, presumably for the motivation, because then we find out when we when we're at this dance, um, it focuses on one young couple and they're a good looking couple. But the, the guy wants to get out of there and go to the point, you know, to make out or, or make out whatever. point yeah yeah and uh when they get there they go to this really cool location which was you know shot on a real location at a church it's it's a gazebo um in the middle of a pond you know with a bridge out to it really cool place and, yeah. and you know and it's lit with like string lights and stuff looks cool they go out there they're making out a little bit it's very tame um, but then eventually the power goes out and we see this scary guy lurking and eventually they are killed with a pitchfork. The, the guy drives the pitchfork through the both of them as they're embracing one another. But he, the, the killer who is done up in like full military tactical gear. So I guess. Uh, completely yeah. unidentifiable. Even his face is covered like in net mesh or something. Which uh, is weird. His face is covered in like a... I mean, it's not modern. Maybe this is the way things were in World War II for like, I don't know, somebody who needs to be supremely camouflaged. Uh-huh. But I had a hard time believing that the killer could even see, see out of that. Right. But it's good. I mean, you know, for that, I mean, it's supposed to be spooky. And so that it's it's pretty spooky. Yeah. Well, and, and at the very last thing, he, the killer lays a rose in the girl's hand. And I don't know when, it, it's, it's very <laughs> soon that we find out that this girl was the rosemary from the letter. Right. So it, it seems to set it up that 
the person that killed this couple was I just presumed the guy that she wrote the letter to like yeah. he was scorned and potentially mm-hmm. damaged from his time in the war and that's logical that makes sense but then we jump to 1980 35 years 35 later 35 years later 1985 <laughs> yes and and they have and they're 1980 and it's the same location and they're setting up for a graduation dance again and we find out from the main character Pam um who the second you see her I say this like every slasher movie we watch the second you see her you know she's the final girl and she is yeah she's the nice pretty blonde girl played by an actress named vicky dawson she looked familiar to me but then i looked at her credits and i didn't recognize anything yeah um i don't know maybe she's just say that like about everybody in this movie pretty much super familiar yeah yeah. i i I stopped writing down there the names of the actors because every time i looked i was like i there's nothing that I've seen that I can identify them from. I don't know. Maybe a, a lot of them have done soaps. You know, some of them are still working in film and TV. But one was in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, some of them have done some some big things. We find out very early on from her because she casually mentions that she has written an article for their school paper about the reason that they haven't had this dance for the past 35 years. And it's because this guy like captain or corporal or something clap him. <laughs> Chatham, yeah, Chatham. <laughs> major, major Chatham has forbidden it for, I don't know how he had the power to forbid it, but he has, and he's forbidden it for the past 35 years because it was his daughter, Rosemary, who had been murdered that night. Well, apparently he's wheelchair bound now and doesn't have the authority to forbid it anymore. <laughs> to, to prevent it anymore. So, <laughs> so for 35 years, they've all been chomping at the bit to have a graduation right. party in this house. And damn it, now that he's had his stroke, they can go up against him. It's so, right. biz- it's so stupid. It, yeah, right. It's, it's weird. It doesn't make any sense. And I was really... <laughs> I was super confused because initially they're they're talking about this. It's a graduation dance. I assumed it was high school. Yeah, me too. But I guess it can't be though. Not. I guess it's college. Look, if it's high school, some people are robbing the cradle here. Well, see, that's what I thought was weird because the main girl Pam is really super flirty with the town deputy, and I'm like, I, I and I, I'm in my mind, I'm like, well, I mean, we're coming right off the '70s, I guess. Yeah, high <laughs> school, high school girls were very much fetishized, you know, back in those days. So maybe that was. A, a thing but i think they're supposed to be more college age i don't know who can tell yeah uh they yeah. they you know the the way that these movies are cast these actors could just have easily have been playing high school kids yeah the actor who played him he was a, a decent looking guy again i thought i knew this guy christopher goutman I, I was like oh i'm gonna look him up he's gonna be in at least five other horror movies and he's not he's he's been on TV and like the edge of night and 80 to 81 and a TV series called Texas. Two of things I've never seen. Hasn't done anything since 1986, but apparently was a, a producer for soaps. Like as the world turns, he was an executive producer for like the whole series. So another world, the same deal. He looks like a guy who would be in soaps, not a guy who would be producing soaps. Right. But he definitely looks older than her. 
He's the deputy of the town, and he's up there flirting with all the girls. They're hanging up the thing. He flirts with one girl, flirts with the other girl. Pam comes up. Oh, I see your eyes are wandering or something like that. Uh, and then you kind of realize they've got a little thing going, or probably have had a little thing going, but, you know, it's fairly... Casual, I guess, because he's, Casual, yeah. he's flirting with the other girls, too, kind of. Or the other girls are flirting with him, and he's not well resistant I, to it. He's very much open to it, it seems. And, and yeah, and, and we kind of get to go around and we get to meet the rest of the town. And there's just all these little cliches that sort of pop in, but in their own unique way. And it's very disjointed, right? Like he goes and, and so he goes and he sees the sheriff. And I don't remember the sheriff's name, but immediately the sheriff tells him, hey, uh, just to let you know. A state police called about an hour ago. Somebody robbed a market up near Columbus. Cut some kid up and took his car. They think he may be headed this way. Are you still going to leave? I can't start the summer without fishing. Now, you know that. I never could. Besides, you've been here for two years now. You can handle anything that might come along. You gotta be extra careful. <laughs> like, what? No, this is should be a big but, deal. <laughs> yeah, but, but, I'm, but I'm leaving. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be fine. Ugh. And if it's not, just call me. <laughs> and there's a lot of reassurance going on here. Like, this, I, f- I actually felt bad for this guy. I'm like... It, you know, it was it was throwing me shades of Scream. You remember Dewey from Scream? Yeah, where yeah, totally. I just felt like Kevin Williamson took the Dewey character from this guy because he said he watched a ton of 80s slasher movies before he wrote Scream uh, and was inspired to write Scream because he thought of how cliche and weird they were. And I thought he got Dewey from the guy in this because although Dewey was like the brother of one of the girls in Scream in this way he it's not too far off he's like no. sort of a boyfriend of one of the girls but he's still being treated like he's inadequate this is your big day you're gonna be by yourself in charge of the town while uh-huh. I go off on my fishing trip and later on in the movie Pam herself is like dissing on him you know, so I felt I felt major Dewey vibes there. And David Arquette did a better job than this guy did with it, but he had better right. material to work with, too. Well, yeah. I mean, D- David Arquette was playing it for the comedy, as he does, and as you know, right. he's really good at that. Right, right. This guy plays it straight, but it is, I, I think you may be on to something, because they, they are uh, strikingly similar. Mm. And then it becomes, for... About five minutes, a sorority house movie <laughs> where we meet. Uh, I guess Pam lives in a sorority house, and she's got all dorms. these friends who we meet. Yeah, they call Is it, it dorms. dorms. They call it the dorms. <laughs> okay, That's whatever. how I figured it was college. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. It's just the girls' dorm or whatever. I think. Yeah, yeah. and and we're introduced to her friends who again really have no personalities. Like here, here are my descriptions. Sherry is the short, blonde-haired friend. Uh, Lisa is the tall, skinny brunette friend. Like mm. that's it. Like yeah. they don't have any other personality. Yeah, you, I'm not. E- I couldn't even keep track of them in the movie. Really? Uh, no. Yeah. Well, you don't have to. I mean, they're just fodder for the killer, which is typical, by the way. Yeah, and and, and they're all getting ready for the dance. I did like this. I did like that they just get to it. Like it's not like there's this big build up you know like it's the day of the dance let's go to the dance yeah so they're all getting ready for the dance meanwhile we see that the prowler is getting ready too he's lacing up his boots <laughs> and getting ready for the dance he is yeah. at this like they're putting on their dresses he's lacing up his boots and like <laughs> sheathing his knives and and things 
And here's the other weird thing, though, right? Like, they're talking about the, the house across the... Which just is, like, across the lawn, basically, right? Where they're they're in the dorms, and then there's this big, beautiful mansion where Major Chatham lives. They're chatting about how, oh, Major Ch- you know, oh, be careful undressing in front of the window. Major Chatham's got eyes. And like, oh, yeah, he's got eyes. Well, then how about this? And the girl exposes her boobs. And the, Major Chatham is indeed in the window across the way. Yeah. Uh, looking at them. And he's clearly on the second floor. And then later in the movie, characters go to the house and one of them goes upstairs to look around and says, everything up there is all wrapped up in sheets. I doubt he's even been up there in the, since... Yeah. stroke because he's in a uh, wheelchair well, we just saw him up there yeah. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's hilarious uh, oh major chatham i have so many questions about major chatham in this movie why right why like does he I, he doesn't even have any lines no he just creeps around and then he just disappears and i have no Never idea what happened again. to him and but a whole lot of shit happens in his house for some reason i still uh-huh. don't understand yeah yeah well <laughs> uh, again you know we get right to it like most of the girls are ready to go but sherry is taking the world's longest shower yeah and um i always appreciate that so they so yeah I mean, and, and you get some nudity she okay so everybody else is left but she's still in the shower and we start getting like killer pov shots um there are a lot of jump scares in this movie to the yeah. point where it really kind of becomes annoying like yeah uh, okay i get it and actually this is a good time to say i really liked the score of this movie oh and i thought that it it would have been a really good score for a movie that for a better movie yeah or a scarier movie because there's so much tension and build up in the score that in this movie only pays off with lame jump scares for the most part or not at all like that's what's so maddening sometimes the movie did not deserve this score right but the score happens to provide sometimes oftentimes the only tension in the movie yes I think nobody does more prowling than Pam and her boyfriend. Uh huh. The prowler doesn't prowl as much as these two do through scenes where they're walking way too slowly down the hallway of an otherwise empty house, wandering around. I felt like sometimes the movie was just trying to meet its 90-minute runtime. Oh, my God. Even with that, it falls short at 89. But still, like if it hadn't had these long-ass scenes that are supposed to be tension-filled. However, the director, I think, at this point, or the editor, or whoever's responsible, doesn't quite understand how to build the tension. The score is the only thing that keeps it interesting, and and nothing happens. Yeah, it's just Pam and Mark most of the time, like, creeping around a house. Or, even better, it. I feel like this happens at least two or three times, he'll go to creep around someplace for a really long time and find nothing and, <laughs> and leave her in the car. Yes. And, and and so we just we just watch him prowling around finding nothing and her sitting in the car for like five minute stretches. With nothing, and nothing happening happens. to her. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. Yeah. <laughs> but the music is acting like any second now. Some shit's gonna go down. Right? It's carrying the whole thing and other but but there's no payoff. We do get, you know, right after everybody else leaves, she's still there. You think the Prowler's creeping up on her, but it's a jump scare. It's really her boyfriend, Carl. And he's like, "Uh, you started without me? And she's like, well, how fast can you get your clothes off? And he's like, well, time me. And 
he goes into the bedroom and starts taking off his clothes, but the prowler pops up behind him and stabs him through the top of his head. Oh, my God. Down the knife comes all the way out through the bottom and there's lots of blood and it, this one looks pretty good yeah uh, i i mean no that's that's a lie it looks really good but yeah. compared to some of the other ones this one's almost like you just don't see enough of it to be able to appreciate it look there is a lot of blood i mean i i feel like it lingers on him for quite a while like on his face his his eyes like roll up into his head or something I didn't understand that. His that eyes go weird. completely white. Yeah, no, I just I figured... I didn't get it at all. Well, you know what I was thinking? First of all, this was super brutal, and I was shocked that something this brutal... I, you know what I was thinking of? Actually, I was thinking of what was the movie. I think it was Pieces, when they're on the waterbed, and the killer stabs this woman through the back of her head, and it comes out her mouth. Oh, yeah. And that was pretty shocking, because you don't usually see something like that, and that hurts a lot <laughs> this guy you know he's getting stabbed through the head through the brain and it, it you see the point of it come out his chin and it looks real i mean it, it looks good to it, me. it does look good it lingers on his face and i think this is a thing about the kills in this movie that make it very different is that they lingered longer yes than these kills usually linger and so it really uncomfortably so focused on the suffering it's not like stab through the head, I'm dead. It's like stab through the head right. and you can see the life slowly going out of this guy in a very unpleasant way. His eyes are rolling up into his head. I don't know what happens if you get stabbed in the brain, but probably a bunch of weird know. shit. You know what I mean? That bothered me a lot. <laughs> yeah, it was gross. But uh, immediately then, Sherry is in the shower and uh the the door of the shower is uh kind of opaque f foggy so she sees a man approaching she assumes it's carl but it's not and then the prowler opens the door she screams and he pitchforks her through the abdomen and lifts her up and you see right up close the pitchfork in her and it I can't begin to tell you how real it looks. Yeah. Like, it looked so real. Yeah. I have no idea how he did it. I have no idea. And the lifting? Yeah, and just the way that the, the tines of the fork, like, pressed into her skin, it looked like real skin. It didn't look like plastic or foam. Yeah. Again, no idea how it was done, but it looked amazing. And it did. It lingered for a while. It, it, it cuts away from that back to the dance and mark comes in looking for pam but he gets pulled away by lisa who apparently is i guess the slutty friend because she's there <laughs> right. with the guy too but she's totally making the move on mark and then there's a, a a goofy moment where mark finally gets to pam who is like serving the punch and lisa seemingly intentionally like bumps into mark which causes mark to bump into the table and spill punch all over pam look this whole deal with Mark at the party is bonkers, right? He told her he was going to show up for her. Uh -huh. He shows up at the party. He's, you know, he's at the front door, and like you said, she's behind the table. So there's a distance, with a crowd between them. But he immediately makes eyes with her. She makes eyes at him. He smiles. He waves his head, and he's sort of trying to make us through the way through the crowd. And then Lisa just jumps in and starts trying to dance with him. And Mark 
suddenly starts dancing with Lisa, not in a way like, oh, okay, maybe this girl's drunk, I'm going to appease her, but, but you know, I'm going to work my way towards Pam. No, he just gets into it. Mm-hmm. Like, now he's suddenly in the moment, and he's, and he's with Lisa. I'm thinking, what? And then they come to the table, like you said, and this little thing goes down, and when Pam runs off, has some choice words with Mark, and runs off, Lisa is just standing there like she orchestrated the whole thing. Like, what a bitch of a friend. <laughs> and it, right, and is really proud of herself, right. Oh. Well, and this part, too, is very reminiscent of Scream, because in Scream, Dewey goes to the teenager's party and just, like, hangs out there with them. Mm-hmm. Like, this it, this was the same kind of thing. Exactly. Like, a cop shows up in uniform at your party, yes. like that's not fun (laughs) (laughs) at all right Uh, but but pam has to go change so she goes back to her dorm room where these two people have just been killed and like there's blood around but she just overlooks it in fact the prowler is still in the bathroom yeah while she's in the room changing her clothes the prowler lays a rose on sherry's face uh, and you know, I, I thought that this moment was fairly tense because he yeah. could come out at any moment, but he doesn't. But again, it's just prolonged stuff. Like she's in there, we see the blood, but she doesn't. And then she goes out, but then she realizes she forgot her purse and she has to go back in. And you're like, you keep thinking eventually this guy's going to pop out, but he doesn't. She just goes back in and gets her purse and comes back out. And it's not until she's going down the stairs that she like hears something and she looks up the staircase behind her and he's there, you know, in his full getup. And, and she starts running around. And this scene, before you, before I had even thought of Scream uh, connections, you know, that you have pointed out, this scene is very reminiscent of the Sarah Michelle Geller scene from Scream 2, where she gets chased around by the killer in the sorority house. Mm. She eventually gets killed. Pam does not. You know, she she bangs on a bunch of doors. Nobody's there. Presumably everybody's at the dance. Um, she's, you know... <laughs> banging it like windows to try to get out and she finally does but as she's running away she gets grabbed by major chatham just randomly yeah who's just like randomly in the yard and he hangs on to her for a good 30 seconds He's as in a she wheelchair. tugs and tries to get away. Doesn't say anything. She eventually pulls free and runs backwards because anytime she runs, she runs backwards. Yes. <laughs> she even walks backwards. And yeah. she runs into Mark. And then we have one of these scenes where he's like, okay, you go sit in the car and I'm going to go look around. And he does, but he doesn't find anything. And, like, he goes up. I think she even says Sherry and Carl are, are still in there. And he goes up and he looks around, but their dorm room door is locked. So he just doesn't check yeah. it. He's like. trying. He, there's You can see something going through his head. Uh, am I going? Should I? Uh, no. It's like it's like a good 30 seconds trip through his mind where finally he's just like nah i'm gonna i'm just gonna leave yeah forget it what i would say like just lazy filmmaking even this chase when she sees him at the top of the stairs it makes no sense we get a shot of her she's at the door she's rattling the door handle then we see another shot of him he's at the bottom of the stairs now but he hasn't moved She's still standing at the door rattling. There's sort of this POV shot that seems to be coming towards her, like the killer is basically at her. But then 
there's another shot of him, and he's still halfway across the room, this very small room, and then she runs away, like right past him, like she has to run within inches of him to get out the way she gets out. And then when she runs out, like you said, she runs outside. This guy should be on her tail if he cares. Mm-hmm. This guy holds her for an inordinate amount of time before she gets away. And then there's just like nothing. I, it, it's just it just spatially, you know, the geometry of everything. Like nothing really clicks and it shows. And so, I don't know. I just, I, at this point, I realized I'm not going to feel suspense from any chase scene in this movie because it's, they're so poor. This one is so poorly constructed that I can't really trust it, you know? So, how am I going to get excited about, oh, this guy's really on his tail when really it just seems like uh, the woman's just going to get away if they want her to? Yeah. Well, and, and the whole thing just goes on like too long from the time she meets Mark. He tells her to get in the car. Then he goes out and looks around outside first. And we we see him looking around, see her in the car, him looking around her in the car. Tension, tension, tension. And then he shows back up at the car and he's like, well, I found some wheelchair tracks and some uh, sh- Boots. Uh, footprints, Boot tracks, but that's yeah. it. And uh, she's like, well, go check inside. So he does him looking around. Her in the car. Him looking around. Her in the car. Prowl, prowl, prowl. And then he comes back. (laughs) Oh, still didn't find anything. Oh, okay. Well, I'm glad that we spent this last five minutes for you to not find anything. And then he's like, let's go check out Chatham's house. And they do. But we never see Chatham again. Never. I have no idea what happened to him. I have no idea what he was doing out there. I have no idea how... (laughs) And I, and I have no idea. It's so bizarre. It's like, so weird. What What was he doing? Why was he grabbing her? We're never going to find out because the movie provides no answers. But he says, let's go check out Chatham's house. They hop in their Jeep and then they drive, I guess, across the across street. Across the street? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then it's, again, it's very typical. They go up to Chatham's house. Nobody's there, but the door is unlocked. So they go inside. And then they spend the next 10 minutes prowling around this old disabled man's empty house like they own the place. Well, and the movie shows us that the prowler is in there. Mm. So, like... There, I, I suppose that's supposed to provide tension, but we just know he's there. He never shows up or does no. anything while they look around for a long time, a long time. This particular set, I guess, uh, was an actual location. It was a museum, and uh, all of the stuff that was in there was like antique stuff. So they were on- only a very small crew was allowed in there to shoot. And I guess the owners were really kind of nervous. They needn't be because nothing <laughs> happens aside nothing. from people just walking around looking around. And Pam finds pictures of uh rosemary chatham they're everywhere like there's a huge picture of her above the fireplace there's a box full of pictures of her just her there's a photo album full of pictures of just her like yeah a yearbook (laughs) whoever lived yeah this this guy major chatham was obsessed with his own daughter apparently and 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 i just cannot get over the fact that sheik just with no thought whatsoever is just opening up his desk pulling out yeah. boxes in there i mean they're supposed to be in peril trying to solve a problem of a prowler chasing them or whatever 
But now she's just in full investigative mode of this old guy's house for no good reason. Right. What is she looking for? Oh, it's so dumb. But again, (laughs) it checks the boxes, right? In a better movie, there'd be a better motivation here. But in this movie... Exactly. They're just opening up random shit in this random guy's house. Well, like, these are supposed to be clues to the mystery of who the killer is. But then ultimately, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. And, like, there's this whole theme, like, in every picture, Rosemary is holding a rose. There's a rose pressed in the photo album. We know that the killer is leaving roses, so they're, like... Who cares? <laughs> it, it's so, like, on the nose, Yeah, you know, like... And it doesn't help. No. She says, she even says something like, uh, she says uh, something like, oh, well, I guess her middle name was Rosemary. And, yeah. you know, so as soon as Mark joins back up with her, she says, oh, but I just found out that his daughter's name is such and such Rosemary, blah, blah, blah. Rosemary, Rose. So definitely the killer must have known that she would go by Rose. And I'm like, well, if she went by Rose and she signed her letters, Rosemary, everybody, everybody that. knows <laughs> that she went by Rose. Like, what? This isn't even a thing. And how does that even help? And, and and how does she make that connection? How does she know there's a connection between what's happening to her tonight at this party and Rosemary? Yeah. There's no reason for her to make any connections except Major Chatham grabbed my hand. Let's go check out the Chatham house. He has this daughter named Rosemary and whatnot. And Rosemary was killed 35 years right. ago at this similar party. Didn't you read my article? They never found out who did it. It had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, man, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. (gasps) Pam, the guy who chased you may be the one the state police are looking for right now. I said, let's get the hell out of here and go to the dance and see that everyone stays inside. Maybe you should call the sheriff. Thanks. I'm sorry. They decided to go back to the dance to tell everybody to stay inside, which they do. But Lisa the slut um, <laughs> just misses the announcement. She she leaves uh, to go swimming, I guess, in a campus pool nearby. I don't know. By the way, this isn't the first time that Lisa um, goes swimming in the water in a film. Among her very few film credits, she was in Humanoids from the Deep. Oh. Yeah. Oh, Fun God, fact. I barely remember that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and and her boyfriend, Paul, is drunk and tries to go after her, but is stopped at the door. So she's swimming alone. She gets kicked brutally in the face um, as yeah. she's coming up out of the pool, like coming up out of the ladder. She gets kicked by the prowler. That looked rough. And it then did. she kind of struggles. She struggles in the pool for a while, which at first I thought seemed kind of awkward. But then I was like, you know what? If I got kicked in the face that hard, yeah, I would probably be a little bit discombobulated too true um but she she's she splashes around for a little while and then she tries to swim i guess to the other side of the pool to try to get out but the prowler comes up behind her and slits her throat from behind and again it looks amazing i can't tell you how many times i have seen somebody's throat get slit in a movie but this is up close and slow and it just looks really real and there's lots of blood it's deep, yeah, and it's it's lots of blood, and then he pushes her under the water, and the wound continues to 
bleed underwater, which looks really cool, and like air escapes from it. So yeah. I assume that there was some sort of bladder in there, but it doesn't look like it. It just looks like her neck. And it lingers for so long. Like, they don't usually do this. And like you said about the throat slit, how many times have we seen a throat slit? It's like a knife drawn across a throat. There's a little drip of blood. You know, it's probably squeezed out from behind the knife or whatever. Uh But uh this is up close, and the knife is halfway through this girl's throat, practically to her spinal cord, which is probably how a real throat slitting looks. It looks very realistic. And then it just lingers on this woman bleeding out in the pool for far too long. And that's that's a compliment. Mm-hmm. It's really impressive. And 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 I'm just gonna say, like, I'm not a gore hound. I enjoy and appreciate gore effects. And of course, part of the reason we watch these movies is because we want to see something unique and different. We want to see the and the kills are the thing, right? It's like an interesting kill. Oh, you tried this cool kill, or oh, you know, like like they made this look real or whatever. But I actually have very strong opinions about violence in movies. I don't want violence to be treated as something that's just uh, blasé and uh, you know, whatever. I, I want. I can't remember which director it is that has this this mindset that when you when you do violence in movies, it needs to be real, so the people understand that this isn't a joke. Uh, otherwise, you're, it's sort of morally repugnant. And ironically, so I, I feel like this movie does a better job than most horror movies of mm. making the violence so brutal and in your face that it's uncomfortable and that's a good thing yeah i don't know i wasn't expecting that from this movie i guess is what i'm saying yeah i mean it's just the the effects are just surprisingly good uh miss allison who apparently is the female chaperone at this college dance what (laughs) right (laughs) this is a different time craig (laughs) i mean think about it the same college dance has a dude who's like like sneaking up to the punch bowl and dumping vodka in it like it's grease. You know yeah, what I mean, right. Uh huh. Miss Allison goes to check on Lisa and she sees blood in the pool and she ends up getting stabbed through the throat, which again is very violent and graphic and and looks uh, fantastic. But also a little awkward when you think about it. You reach around somebody from behind and you take a knife and then you have to kind of like do kind of a U turn with your hand and stab directly back into their throat. <laughs> yeah but i don't yeah. remember what i do remember is that i really there were just some things that now even looking back at my notes i'm like what the f- was going on like there are these two random characters ben and sally who <laughs> ben wants to make out and sally's like i am not leaving until they find that prowler by the way who says prowler has anybody <laughs> ever actually used that term not I think I would say since at least the fifties or sixties, but you know, God. maybe the eight, maybe early eighties. I was pretty young keep, back then. They keep saying it. There's a prowler. There's a prowler. Look out for what? the prowler. Okay, grandma. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she won't leave because of the prowler. So he's like, we don't have to leave. We can just go down to the basement. That's what people do. They go down there and make out. And she's like, okay. So they go down to the basement and we get like, the you know killer pov shots so we think oh the the prowler must be there but no it just turns out to be the old man chaperone yeah who is just watching them make out and that's it that's it we're Nothing done Nothing else happens. we're done with this couple like <laughs> <laughs> why is this pervy old man just watching them make out oh. in the shadows so 
weird. And then we never see them uh, again. <laughs> no, we never see any of them ever again. Uh, Pam and Mark put drunk Paul in jail, which is uh, – and it's like an old-timey jail cell. And, and he's like – you know, taunting them from the jail cell, which was kind of funny. Then there's a whole part where Mr. Kingsley, the creepy, the creepy shop owner who we'd met earlier, shows up in his creepy and tells them that there's a bunch of kids at the cemetery, which is a lie. I don't know what is going on <laughs> because so they random. go to the cemetery. They go there. Mark and Pam go there and there, there's nobody there. This is so hilarious. This whole cemetery thing, it feels like somebody was handed the script and is like, can you just keep this going, you know, and had to write in some <laughs> random shit. Because it's just like, Mark, he shows up. Look, he wasn't actually creepy the first time we saw him. The first time we saw him, he's this jokey, jovial guy. And he suddenly shows up. So there's, there's a bunch of kids at the cemetery. And, you know, that gate's wide open. And he walks away. And suddenly Mark gets very concerned. And he turns to Pam and he's like, that gate, it's supposed to be locked. Yeah. Let's go check it out. So they go to the cemetery. There's nobody there. But Mark spends five minutes, five minutes. walking about six feet between two gravestones. While she waits in the car again. again. And comes across an open grave, which is interesting. But again, how does this connect to anything? He looks in the open grave. And as any of us would probably do when we look in an open grave and see a coffin down there, let me jump down there and open it up. Right. Well, it seems like the coffin has been disturbed. Like, I, I think, like, the lid is slightly a little bit off, off or something. Yeah. So he wants to open it up, but then uh, she screams. She's in the car, and she sees the face of this janitor or helper guy that was Mr. Kingsley. From the store. From the store named Otto, who we saw a whole hour ago, and only an hour yeah, ago. Yeah, for... 15 seconds, He's maybe. like, oh, this is the slow guy. And when we first saw him, I thought, oh, okay, well, this is one of our red herrings, right? We're going to think this right. guy's going to uh -huh. pop up every now and then. He's going to be the leering dude or whatever. No, we never see him until now. He looks at, in at her and goes, Ee! she screams. <laughs> that, that gets his attention. He jumps out of the grave and runs to her to the other side of the car. She's on the driver's seat. He's on the other side. He opens the door. She's like, I saw. I think I saw somebody. Otto, Otto, I saw him through the, the window. And he just doesn't give a shit. He's just like, I, no, I know, yeah, yeah but, okay. but there's a grave back here. Like, like you got to check this out. And suddenly, Otto's not a thing anymore. They, run, they, go, nope. they go to the grave. And they, yeah, and they open up the coffin, and it's Lisa's body in there, which, of course, freaks Pam out. I don't know why. Why is her body there? I don't either. The name on the headstone seems to be kind of, like, rubbed out, but it's obviously Rosemary's Grave, which yeah. they figure out at some because point. Because there's a rose carved into the top of the tombstone. And then there is a ridiculously long scene. Where Mark tries to call the sheriff, but the big fat guy at the desk of the, like, camp or whatever says he's going to go get him, but doesn't. But we just have to watch while this big fat guy just sits in a chair oh. and, like, slams down the phone and then, like, slams the door and then sits there for five minutes mm. and then slams the door again. It's like, oh, he's not here. <laughs> Like, yeah. I swear to God, it was the longest 
scene. And it like just keeps cutting back and forth, but like they're both on the phone. Neither of them is saying anything. Yeah. <laughs> so long. It's so long and stupid. And this guy, I mean, you know, uh, he's he's doing his best to be this sort of like uh, good old boy country guy. He mispronounces crappie. He says, I think he was out there fishing for crappy earlier. <laughs> like, really? I, I read in the, the trivia, and, and the only reason I bring this up is because I was thinking it while I was watching the movie. I was like, that tombstone looks fake as shit yeah oh it looked awful and apparently the director himself was so embarrassed by how fake the tombstone looked that he was thinking about cutting a bit of trimming that scene down for the dvd re-release he should have (laughs) it's terrible and then there's another completely inconsequential scene where mark tries to drop pam off at the dance and, and he's gonna go on investigating on his own but she's super offended so she gets out of the car and stands with her back to him for a good minute and then just turns around and gets back in the car and they drive off together <laughs> like why why did we need to see this oh it, it's it was, so stupid it was the makings of a, what could have been a good scene in a writer in in the right writer's hands i mean obviously he's trying to create some tension between the two of them and so she jumps out of the car and she stands there and she's gonna go in he's like oh by the way I'm going to drop you off, and I'm going to go on and do this stuff. She's like, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he's like, no, this is too dangerous. I can't have you do it. And then she turns and looks at him and says, okay, well, you just go play sheriff. And then there's this (laughs) long, like, 15-second shot of him just sort of looking puzzled. (laughs) It's it's uncomfortable. I, I felt bad for this man as an actor. And then it goes back to her, and she just looks at him. Like you said, walks around to the side of the car, gets inside. They sit there in silence for a second, and then, okay, let's go. What? And where they're going, I know, I know, it's so stupid. And where they're going is back to Chatham's house. Yes. I don't know why, why, but, but basically what it comes down to is everything from the last time they were at Chatham's to now could have gotten cut out. And yeah, it wouldn't have made any difference to the plot <laughs> exactly. because they just end up in the exact same spot with Prowling no new somewhere. information, really. <laughs> the the prowler apparently is there again. Oh. Like, I guess he just hangs yeah, out. He's he's there. He's been. He knew they were going to come by. Yeah. They split up in the house again, just like they did before. They're looking around the same places they looked before. The power goes out. Um, Mark gets knocked out by the Prowler, but for no good reason, not killed. I don't understand that. Like, all of a sudden, now the Prowler is just knocking people out. This was frustrating the hell out of me. Mark leaves her. He goes upstairs, and we are submitted to, like, three minutes of him walking up each step like I don't know, like it's made of jello or something. He's so slow walking through this very small space. And the most interesting thing he could possibly see in this house, the newest information that he has, is on the second landing, there is a door that is slightly ajar, and the light is on inside. And he stands there, just like he stood outside that locked door of those college kids Uh half an hour ago, debating on whether he's going to go in and we're seeing these shots like like you know implying that the prowler's on the other side of that door is in there and yeah. he's just like 
nah, I'm eh, just going to keep going. <laughs> what? So that he can go up to the same floor that's covered, you know, where everything's covered with white sheets that he found nothing before. Like, why did you walk past the most interesting thing in the house? Oh. Well, not, not just walk past it, but stand there and contemplate <laughs> it for like 30 <laughs> seconds and then, uh, nah, never mind. At this point, I thought, well, I guess the sheriff knows more than we do about telling him, okay, Mark, you can do it. I know I'm saddling you with a lot. I know this is a lot of responsibility, but I'm going to try to have some faith in you. He was he was good to be a little cautious, yeah. He gets knocked out. The lights come back on uh, for unknown How reasons. How does that happen? How does he control that know. from the second floor landing? Who knows? Pam is standing looking looking at that picture over the fireplace and she happens to glance down and she sees a locket hanging from in the fireplace. And so she reaches her hand up into the fireplace and feels around up there for a good 30 seconds. And I'm thinking there's got to be a body up there, yeah. which there is, but how did, like, why is she not freaking out? Like, yeah. If I reached up and felt around and there was like a skeleton, I, I think I would recoil, but she doesn't until it falls down. And it's like a, decomposed it's an old corpse it's decomposed so explain this to me it's rosemary apparently the the prowler had gone dug up rosemary taken her corpse replaced it with lisa I, i don't know why and went to major chatham's house and shoved it up the fireplace upside down yeah what in the world i don't know i have no idea it doesn't make any sense but she is then confronted by the prowler who says something like, are you ready for our date, Rosemary? Is that what he said? Yes. I'm ready for our date, Rosemary. And and it holds a rose out to her. And then he chases her around the house forever. There's a, a kind of, I guess, tense moment where she's hiding under like a chaise lounge or something. But he's like pitchforking everything all around her for a long time, but never pitchforks where she is. And she eventually just runs away and he sees her and chases her some more. Um, and then she seems, you know, like he they are face to face. She's got the one broken end of the pitchfork, the fork part that he's got the other end, which is much longer. And he's menacing her. And then out of nowhere, Otto appears with a shotgun and shoots him. Oh, my God. And then Otto and Pam share a lingering look that looks like like you're going to make out at any time. They are now in love and they are going to get married and have a family. It's it's, it's so embarrassing. Uh, It it really is. I was like, what? Uh, What is happening? The, 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 The Prowler is not dead. Um, and he shoots Otto with the gun that he apparently had on him. And then Pam and the Prowler struggle again. They're fighting over the gun. And she eventually realizes that he's holding the barrel directly underneath his chin. But while they're struggling, it's like his mask is bothering him. So he takes it off. <laughs> Just for our benefit, really. Mid-struggle, right, to reveal... That it's the sheriff. And I was like, well, obviously. Like, yeah. that was obvious to me from the beginning. Just nobody else it could have been. And then she 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 blows his head off, which is a great effect. Slow motion. It was a full prosthetic head that, that Savini made using a, you know, a cast of the actor's real head. And it is slow motion. And it looks really, really, really good. But that's the end of that. To wrap it up, it's the next day. Oh, it's uh, immediately the next m- day. 
Yes. Yeah, Mark takes Pam back to her dorm. She goes up. The shower is still on. <laughs> and so she she finds the bodies, Sherry and Carl, there. And Carl's body is hanging. And as she's standing there, his all-white eyes open. So he kind of looks like a zombie or something. Yeah. And he grabs her by the throat. And she screams and struggles and gets away and then in my notes, I have zombie Carl grabs her or does he? Because <laughs> like, then because then after she gets away, she looks back and he's just hanging there. So I guess we're to presume that that was just in her mind because that's oh. it. That's the end. It goes directly to credits. Once again, checking off the boxes. You got to have that final jump scare at the end. Like, you know, like the tall man jumping out at you through the mirror in Phantasm and Jason jumping right. out, out of the lake. But... Those end with that, like Jason jumps out, pulls her down, and then boom, end credits. Yeah. This is, suddenly she looks at him, he's not doing it anymore, long shot of her standing there confused, then credits. Mm -hmm. Then credits. Like, they couldn't even get that right. Here is Mike, okay, so it was the sheriff all along. Why? Right. How is the sheriff connected to any of this? It the time doesn't make sense. Like yeah. he'd have to be at least sixty years old if he was Rosemary's spurned lover. I guess he could if he was about twenty when he came back from war. And this is thirty five later, thirty five years later, he would be about fifty five. I guess that guy could have been maybe. I guess that's what we're. I guess that's what we're led to believe. Right. But it's it's so loose. Well. And it begs of the obvious question, aside from, oh, now they're able to do the party again after 35 years, why is he now compelled to go on a murderous rampage of random teenagers? Yeah, who are in no way connected. Yeah, you're right, like, if, if he were a spurned lover, it would make sense that he would take revenge on the the girl and the guy but then that's that, it you know spurned him or whatever right it doesn't make sense that he would just randomly kill a bunch of teenagers who have absolutely no connection to anything other than the fact that they're going to this dance yeah. it doesn't make any sense it's stupid it's not a good movie in terms of the story and that those even just talking about it again and recognizing all of those times where it was so drawn out unnecessarily it just makes me realize that it really was pretty bad but again i'll forgive those things because i'm still glad that i saw the movie because i'm glad to have seen the special effects which really were phenomenal and if you haven't seen this movie it is worth watching for that reason alone agreed 100 percent. and the music and by the way yeah while we were talking i looked up richard einhorn who is the composer of this Guess who also composed Blood Rage, the two-word title? Oh, <laughs> funny. Ugh, I knew it. They're all connected. Yeah. I'm telling you, this, this is a magical time. That's why we're doing it. Yeah. 1981, The Prowler. Glad I saw it. Hilariously bad movie. Fun to watch with your friends to make fun of. Makes absolutely no sense. But uh, technically, pretty to watch. And amazing kills. And um, mm-hmm. special effects that best some of the stuff I've seen now today. It just mm-hmm. unbelievably yep. good. 
Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode. We still have one more 1981 slasher movie coming to you next week. Please stay tuned for that. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. You can find us online. If you just Google Two Guys in a Chainsaw Podcast, you can find our website. You can find our Twitter feed. You can find our Facebook page. You can also find our Patreon. And any one of those places, please leave us a note. Let us know what you liked about this episode, what you would like to hear coming up in the future. Please consider supporting us on Patreon. And if you do, you get a bunch of goodies, including... A, a little dive deeper into behind the scenes of what we do here some of our random thoughts about not just movies but about horror books uh, maybe we'll have some episodes about horror video games some stuff about us personally coming up and a big explanation as to why we are even doing a month of 1981 slash the films until next time i am todd and i'm craig with two guys and a chainsaw ah.